Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walcheff. This is a Cali BBQ Media production, and this is Cinco de Mayo, the day that we are recording this podcast, and it's a very excellent episode because we get to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is restaurant technology. Uh, restaurant technology is something that has enabled us um, since 2008 to expand our business um, to where we are today, which is still operating during the coronavirus. We are one of the uh, units, barbecue restaurant, selling alcohol to go that is uh, finding a way to make this thing work. Uh, we, we talk about this every week on the podcast that the full service restaurant model is broken. Uh, the profit margins are very small. And for us, using technology is one of the solutions for the next generation of restaurant owners to move forward in the hospitality space, a space that is so near and dear to our heart. Digital hospitality, every week we talk about every restaurant has to be digital, every business has to be digital, every brand has to be digital. You have to find a way to sell things through your website, sell them online, get your word out um, on social media, and you also have to be in the hospitality business. Uh, even place, even businesses that aren't in the hospitality business need to understand that when you are interacting with the brand digitally, you have to do that hospitable and you have to make sure that people aren't ignored the same way you wouldn't ignore someone that walks into your restaurant. Uh, today we have Crystal Gitman, uh, who is an account executive for Q Beyond, which is a fascinating POS technology company. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you today. Uh, we have a long relationship, which we'll get into, but welcome to the show, Crystal. Hey, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really happy to be here today. I'm super, uh, super excited. You know, I was thinking before we started this podcast, how many different salespeople that I have interacted with in my 12 years of running a restaurant. And I think it's got to be tens of thousands. And of those tens of thousands, there is only a handful, less than a handful of people that I that were so good at what they did that I, I felt that there was a personal connection. I felt like there was a friendship, somebody that you cared so much about what you were doing and the success of Corey and I, when we first opened the restaurant, we were trying to decide between Micros POS and Aloha POS. And it was one of the most expensive uh, things that we purchased as a startup restaurant. Um, we went with Aloha um, because it was your recommendation. And um, ever since we've always maintained a relationship and now you're off to do bigger and better things and uh, we're really excited to have you on the podcast. No, thank you. And uh, I think I was listening to a couple podcasts ago when you were celebrating your 12th anniversary and yes. just brought back so many memories of that entire uh, sales cycle and getting Aloha in and your opening of California Comfort at the time and yes. uh, bringing my babies who are now big teenagers in for breakfast. And it's just been a, a wild ride over the last 12 years for both of us with what we're doing I, in this industry. Yeah. Absolutely. Take, take take me back 12 years. I want to know what your perception is because uh, you were selling multiple accounts all across San Diego. You had um, you actually were doing multiple units, I believe. So we were one of the first, you know, kind of the smaller, smaller startups that you were selling. Um, what were your perceptions of Spring Valley and what what these crazy guys were up to? You know, every restaurant is so different. And I was selling a lot into the gas lamp and North Park, which was still kind of a burgeoning area at the time. Um, and so, yeah, to get a call and, and go out to Spring Valley and get lost along the way and finally find you on Troy Street in what seemed to be a house yes. at the time. Um, you know, my, I, I always kept my 
you know, options open and it never judged from what you saw on the outside. But when I met you and Corey, I was just really excited because you had a great story. You know, you had a great story of that property and um, obviously the deep, deep love that you had for your grandfather and sort of the the restaurant that you were creating in his memory and in his honor. And it was just uh, a really neat thing. And the two of you were so excited and so passionate and so willing to learn on how to be in the restaurant business and what was going to be you know, different about the technology that you chose at the time. Um, and you're right. I felt just a really, really good personal connection. San Diego natives always, always want to support a local San Diego boy. And it was just a, uh, it was a really neat opportunity to work with you guys in an area that didn't have a lot of business at the time in terms of restaurants, you know? Yeah. I think it's one of the things we talk about every week on the podcast. It's, you know, location, location, location is the real estate mantra that they tell you when you're opening up a restaurant or pretty much any business, um, which is what drives commercial real estate prices um, to what they are wherever you go in the world, especially here in San Diego, especially here in California. But uh, the internet doesn't discriminate on location. And that's something that technology has really enabled us as a brand um, to really capture what's happened in the last 12 years. I mean, so much has changed in 12 years, um, just that we've been open. And if you go 13 years, that's when the first Apple iPhone came out. You know, that's crazy to think that what we can do with an Apple iPhone now and what we can do with technology and how we can have this podcast that can be heard from people. We have people that listen all over the world that run different types of businesses, a lot of restaurateurs, a lot of people in the barbecue business, but they can learn something from a conversation that we're having. And that's something that's so exciting. That's that's the world that we live in. And that's the digital first world. Tell me about what was so compelling for you to make this jump into Q Beyond, the new uh, the new uh, company that you work for now. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, location was so important. And I think one of the things that we're going to see in the next few years is that location won't matter at all, really. You know, you have so many brands that are emerging as partially digital or completely digital. There's ghost kitchens. There's all different ways to have a brand that's completely virtual nowadays. And in order to facilitate that and still maintain the guest experience and the integrity of your brand, you need technology that enables that. And I think where I was 12 years ago, you know, really selling that what I thought was the best product in the business. Well, the business has changed in 12 years and point of sale is no longer the cash register on the counter or the terminal that the cashier is taking your order on at the counter at the drive through. Um, it's really about having a platform that enables you to take payment and sell your product and maintain your brand across multiple digital channels. And I know that Cali Comfort's been really good at that. Every brand right now has had to pivot to a virtual environment in order to maintain their business. But not every piece of technology enables that. And what I found so incredibly compelling about Q when I came onto the brand is that we are reimagining the way that point of sale interacts with transactions and customers in our space. And it's just completely different. And I was really drawn in by my first couple conversations with my CEO, Amir Huda, with Nico Papa Dimitrio, who's our VP of business development. Um, and the story they told about why our industry doesn't need point of sale anymore why they need a truly virtual e-commerce platform, a transaction engine to enable omni-channel environments. Um, 
was sort of everything I'd been looking for in a point of sale and a company to align myself with and been here about a year and a half. And I can say we're just getting better and better. And and given the current environment, what's going to happen in the next couple of years, I truly believe that we are incredibly poised to respond to the needs of brands. Yeah, I think it, it's it's absolutely fascinating. You know, I, I went on your guys' website and downloaded your um, your your sales deck, which is a, a kit. It's a it's a helpful mm-hmm. kit for restaurant owners. And in there, there's figures, and one of the figures was that 75% of enterprise operators ranked online ordering as their top digital priority in 2020. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pre-COVID, 75%. And I think it's so important because. The reason why we're so passionate about this podcast, the reason why we're so passionate about having these conversations every week is that it's not just in the restaurant space. This is a global phenomenon that digital first is something that an e-commerce omni-channel platform is something that all small business owners, if you're not willing to pivot, if you're not willing to make those changes, transactions don't happen at a cash till anymore. They yeah. do not happen. You have to understand what is a, what is touchless payment. You have to understand how am I going to make a sale online? How am I going to, you know, make all these menus that we have? We have th- three different third-party deliveries. How can Eric, my general manager, who works his ass off, he has to go and update where we've simplified our menu for COVID-19. So we're streamlining the process, but he has to do that across Uber Eats. He has to do that at DoorDash. He has to do that, you know, for our online ordering system. It's a lot of online management and having one solution that allows you to talk to all those different systems to change it and change it effectively is something that's very compelling. Oh, absolutely. And I think you're really starting to unpack why it's so important to have the right technology for that. You know, at QE coined the term menu mayhem or menu madness. And, you know, in that survey that you read, you know, in addition to online ordering being a priority, one of the biggest issues is managing multiple menus across all of your different channels. You have um, your online ordering, you have kiosk. A lot of people are doing kiosk. Who knows what's going to happen with kiosk, you know, in the next couple of years, given everything that's happening with contactless. Um, You have curbside, you have, you know, multiple different channels on third-party delivery. You have third-party delivery aggregators that are trying as best as they can to try and ease that menu mayhem. But at the end of the day, you have all these disparate systems that don't talk to each other. So not only is it a nightmare from the programming standpoint, you know, if I update a menu item or if I want to cut my menu items and streamline, which is what a lot of people are doing now for COVID, there's so many different places I have to do that. And then on the back end, the reconciliation's a nightmare. How am I going to look at, you know, all these different reports understand not just from a financial standpoint, but a product mix, a food cost. What's really working for me right now? Margins are important right now. You need to be squeezing every penny. I mean, we do anyways in this industry, right? But you just yeah. need it more than ever. Um, and how do I get the data that I need in order to effectively run my business and survive this crisis and beyond? And, you know, Q has some really um fundamental strategies behind that, having a single source of truth from a menu management perspective, integrating directly into third-party delivery providers. We still work with aggregators. We understand there's a need for Charlie Checkmate, Um, but we want to make it as easy as possible where if you want to program an item, that item should speak in a bi-directional way to all the third parties that you interact with, your own native online ordering, kiosk if you so choose to have it, app, Um, and it should be very, very easy. And that's the piece of our technology that was so compelling to me is to ease that menu mayhem for operators. And not only that, it enables you to keep your brand consistent. If you have one menu item that renders itself differently, 
in seven different places. What does that say about your brand integrity? How do I understand the consistency of your brand if all the imagery is different, if all the menu items are different, the modifications? Um, you start to sort of water yourself down as you spread yourself out by necessity. Um, and we really want to make sure that you can have the most consistent brand experience with your customers as possible. That's really important to us. And we do that through um, our, our menu tool, our menu management system, you know, single source of truth, Q platform. I mean, that's huge because just thinking out of thinking, not just from a menu integration where actually somebody can order something from one of these multi-channels. There's also the additional social menus that are out there that have to get updated as well. I mean, back way long ago, I, I mean, it kind of had to have been seven years ago, I found single platform and single platform was essentially, they allowed us to have one menu that would distribute to all the different, you name it, if it was Yelp, you, it was Yellow Pages, TripAdvisor, whatever it was, it would go and it would update it. So we'd have one place there as well as our website that we could that we could update. But now even single platforms having a trouble keeping up with as many different places that our menu appears online. And as a restaurant owner, my my biggest fear is that somebody's gonna go to, you know, Google Chrome or they're gonna go to Firefox or they're gonna go to Safari and they're gonna search or they're gonna ask Alexa, hey, let me order barbecue and it's gonna be something some item that we don't have and they're gonna get upset. That's a bad customer experience. You know, yeah. and that's something that's it's overwhelming for a restaurant operator. You know, even for someone like myself, when I go down the checklist and I realize how many things I have to go and update because I want it updated correctly. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's not updated within that platform, it's not going to show up the way that I want it to. That can be very frustrating. And you already, I can only imagine this is something that you could probably speak to more. You already have to let go of so much control over your brand and product when you're working in the virtual world. You have third-party delivery drivers. You have third-party delivery menus. You have people who are putting your menus on their sites for sale without you even having a contract with them. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's so hard to maintain the integrity of your own brand in the virtual world that if your technology doesn't help fuel that, then where do be what are you left with? And I can only imagine that that's something that really keeps you up at night. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I, I, I appreciate you guys working on that end because just as you said, it's, it's the photos, you know, it's the photo quality. And that's something that I've always talked about since we've, since we've ran this restaurant is nothing was nothing made me more upset than seeing a brand on TV or in mainstream media that would put a photo of a burger that wasn't a burger that you would get when you went to the restaurant. Uh, so one of the things that was important to us before Instagram was as popular was it was is like I want it to just be food that we're gonna that you're gonna get at the restaurant. I want to make it as sexy as possible, make that Instagram photo sexy, but it better be something that I can actually order and that's gonna come to my table. Don't make it you know over photoshopped or overshot. Make it real. And once you make it real, that's great. But then make sure that it's real on Yelp and make sure that it's real on DoorDash and make sure that, you know, this is actually what we're going to get. Because if you see it and let's say there's a side on there that's tater tots and somebody sees that and they go, oh, my son loves tater tots and you order it and you look for the side of tater tots. But guess what? We don't have tater tots. Like that's a big frustration for a lot of people. 
Absolutely. It's interesting that you say that because one of the very strategic decisions we made in building out our back end was to include two things that you don't typically see in a menu management tool for a point of sale. Um, one is nutritional information. That's incredibly important nowadays. Be able to program that into your items and have that render on web and kiosk. Um, having people be able to search by nutritional information. I want a gluten-free menu. I want to exclude all items that aren't vegan. Um, but the second, and I think maybe the most important to your point, is we allow for you to control all of your imagery within our back end as well. And then that imagery is then pushed out to the various providers or, or channels that you work with. And you can choose what that imagery looks like. So, you know, maybe your tailgater platter looks better in full size on web ordering, but if you're going to look at it in the thumbnail, you're going to have to change the image a little bit for Uber Eats or DoorDash. And we have the ability to do that. We have something called dynamic context, right? So every order channel um, has a different context. It might be pricing, you know, that might be a little bit, you know, different price on different channels. It might be different um, amount of modifications that you can do, or it might be different imagery. And we think that having that single menu item with multiple dynamic contexts allow you to, from a back end, reconcile everything really well, but on a front end, really control what your product looks like across all those channels. And we thought that was a really important thing to build into our product. So tell me about cashless payment. Are you guys going after the cashless restaurants or are you still going to be going after people that are still taking hard cash? Uh, you know, we're going after everyone. We're taking over the phone. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, you know, we're, we're really laser focused. So Q works primarily in the enterprise space. Uh, we focus on brands that are quick service and fast casual only. I know there's a lot of technology companies that are sort of, you know, working inside that vertical. From a point of sale perspective, though, there's not a lot of point of sales um, at all anymore that are really focused on that particular space. So within that space, when you look at fast casual, quick service, a lot of them are moving to cashless, contactless is really, really important. Um, you know, even BYOD, a lot of people are starting to look at, you know, I don't even need terminals in my restaurant. I want you to walk in with your phone and do all of your ordering with your phone. Bring me my food. I want all my payment to happen right there on my device. Um, so those are all things that we either currently have or are exploring across a number of different modes. And is there a reason why you're not looking at the full service side? Is that just part of the business business model or is that something that might happen in the future? Um, you know, never say never. It's definitely not part of the business model now. Um, and who knows? Because table service might change. It's not might. It's going to change. I think we had this conversation last week. Um, who knows what the future of table service is in terms of coming to the table and having servers? Who knows how much of that's going to be a BYD experience? Um, but for now, you know, from day one, from day one, we are always enterprise focused. We are always fast, casual, quick service focused. Um, it's in our DNA and it's sort of the decision that we made early on. Um, and it's, it's worked out really well for us so far because a lot of the needs that operators have at the enterprise level are really well served by our product. So somebody is as experienced as you and has seen what you've seen before the coronavirus and especially now, how do you see full service restaurants sustaining if they do not adapt to a quick service model? model? You know, I, I, this could be in a whole 45 minute conversation because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've been thinking about it a lot and, you know, obviously I'm really, really engaged in the community at large. You know, we're part of the IFBTA. I go to a lot of their webinars and restaurant technology network. You know, we're part of a couple of work groups there talking about the future of the restaurant industry. And I, I don't think that I have a solid opinion. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I do know that, you know, it, 
if we're going to be forced to keep tables six feet apart, if we're going to have servers, uh, you know, stay away from the tables, you can't have people crowding at the bar to watch football on a Sunday. Um, you're going to have to figure out a way to pivot and become more of a virtual brand. You cannot sustain on what are already incredibly tight margins in our industry with half the people coming into your restaurant. And I think a lot of businesses that aren't going to find a solution that works or become partially digital, you know, really focus on a lot of to-go food, which isn't really typically the domain of, you know, full service restaurants. Um, they're, I think that a lot of businesses are going to fail in the next couple of years. And I'm really curious to see what people will implement within your space in order to stay in business. And I think, you know, to the point of this whole podcast, I think the digital strategy is going to be absolutely critical. I think that 75% of people who thought online ordering was important. I'd say it's probably closer to 90 at this point, if not more. It, it has to be. I mean, there's no going back to the way that things were. If you were not able to pivot during this period, um, if you weren't able to capitalize on at least keeping some people employed, getting your brand still out and relevant, um, if, if that hasn't happened and you're not considering changing the way that you're doing business, changing the way that you feel about social media, changing the way you feel about online ordering, delivery ordering, all those things are so front and center I mean, just in my own house, I mean, even as, as busy as we are, we have two young kids and we, we order DoorDash, you know, we order Grubhub, we go and we order from local restaurants in our neighborhood through their website. We call them because we want to support them. But that's just the way that we're getting food. I mean, we live in an Amazon Prime world, right? Yep. You know, how, how are we going to get what we do and offer that in a, in a way that's different? And I think that's one of the things that I'm most excited about for restaurant operators is we're very resilient people. We're mm. very, very resilient, very creative. And there's nobody that's better at understanding hospitality than a full service restaurant operator, because that's the heart of what we do is welcoming people into our homes. But how do you do that digitally? It's a much bigger challenge, you know, because like you said, when you lose control, when you have a different delivery driver, come and pick that up because we haven't hired that delivery driver. We don't teach them that smiling is important. We don't teach them that how even even if the guest doesn't even see you, the little thank you note that you leave in the bag, the little thing that lets you know that somebody we really care that you have a great experience because you can't say, hey, my fries are cold. And guess what? They probably will be cold, just as you and I know, no matter where you get. Like, they're not fries coming through a drive-thru. If you're, yeah. if you're fries, they're going to be cold. Those are all the challenges that we have to face. And I think working with companies like yours will really allow restaurant operators, no matter if they're quick service or full service, to understand that there's tech companies out there that are understanding and they're fighting the good fight on our behalf. So we can do what we do best, right? Yeah. You really shouldn't have to spend your entire day or hire entire resources that, you know, at this moment, nobody can afford just to focus on being a database administrator for your technology. You should be able to really focus on how am I going to maintain my brand experience to my guests. And it's really interesting, actually, that you said about the little thank you note in the to-go. Um, our CMO, Jennifer Kern, we did a webinar last week uh, through the IFBTA, and she really talked about how to personalize the third-party experience. And we've all been ordering, just like you said, I've been ordering. I've been trying as much as possible to order directly from the restaurants and not utilize the third parties, but sometimes I do. Um, 
And she had mentioned in the webinar, she kind of opens the bag and thinks, you know, why not a note or a coupon or a, you know, some sort of branding, some sort of sticker on the boxes. And, and I think that's something that's really, really easy for brands to change right now, because for the time it leaves your restaurant, it goes into somebody's car that you don't employ that I don't know. And he drops it off for me. A lot of that personal experience is lost. And, and I think what you were saying about the thank you note is fantastic. That's what Jen said, like per- personalize that third party experience so that there's still some brand recognition in the white plastic bag that you're getting from the driver. I think that's going to be really, really important. Um, And it's a great place to promote your brand. You know, we have a coupon or now we're doing family packs or just a personalized note is so important. And I know to me, that would make me much, much more interested in ordering from that brand again. I mean, that's that's the essence of digital hospitality. I mean, that's the the blending of both worlds is understanding that there's a digital side and then there's a hospital side. There's a in real life side. Somebody craft this barbecue. We took the time to do that. But if we take that extra step and that extra step of a thank you card or a newsletter, yeah, it's extra work, but we do that work anyways in our restaurant. Now all this food's going out of our restaurant. Like, why can't we do that for every single order that goes out? We can, you know, we can and we will. And the restaurants that do decide to do that, the brands that do decide to do that, I think they, they will win. Tell, tell people that don't know what a ghost kitchen is. Ah, so interesting. And if you look on LinkedIn and you kind of just kind of do some research on ghost kitchens, they are they, you know, within the last couple of years, they became very, very popular. Um, within the last couple of months, I would say they tripled their popularity. I've seen so many brands launch uh, launch virtual ghost kitchen brands. So ghost kitchen is just it's a facility that exists. It could be in a business park. It could be anywhere. It could have multiple brands existing under one place. But a ghost kitchen is just a production facility for your brand and for your food. So, you know, a lot of table service brands, for example, you know, when they were busy, they didn't typically have the resources in the kitchen or their kitchen size to double their load. So if I brought in online ordering and now I have a full restaurant on a Friday night and my kitchen is to production, you know, maximum, um, how am I going to produce all my third party delivery orders? How am I going to produce my online orders? So ghost kitchens um, came in as a way to produce your food. They're manufacturing facilities. I mean, really, that's what we do in restaurants, right? We manufacture food. Everything else is sort of layered on top of that. Um, So ghost kitchens enable brands to to manufacture their food for third party and online orders from um, a centralized location, utilizing less resources in terms of staff, overhead costs. I mean, I think they're brilliant. I've seen a couple brands in the last um, couple years that I've been working with in the last year with Q uh, that are almost primarily, I, I worked with brand up in LA for a short while that has uh, 13 locations or 14 locations um, and they're 100% virtual. You can order 12 different types of food from this particular brand. They had Chinese, they had Italian, they had three different kinds of pizza, New York, Chicago, California, Neapolitan. Um, and it was all out of one facility. So they had one set of kitchen staff that was producing 12 different types of food, 12 different brands. They had online branding for these brands. They all had their own logos. They all had their own story, but they were being produced out of a manufacturing facility and everything. It was 99% digital orders. Um, And I just think there's a lot, there's going to be a huge trend towards that. And I think one of the most fascinating things, I don't know where I read it, uh, it was probably some industry publication, but they were talking about 
the third-party delivery apps going to these ghost kitchens and giving them the analytics of saying, hey, I know you're a Chinese concept, but in this, in this delivery radius, the search term for chicken wings is the number one thing that people are searching for. So they're using those analytics to help them actually partner with them saying, hey, can you, can you do chicken wings for a concept? Now all of a sudden it's a different revenue stream. They're doing chicken wings and they're doing that separate brand that's doing the Chinese food. Crazy. Yeah. It's in that interesting. There's actually a couple brands that have pivoted and done that in the last few months. Um, I'm a big fan of Tokayo Organic. I think their food's delicious. Um, and they recently launched a burrito brand that is a separate brand, but it's being produced currently out of their Tokayo kitchen. So you can order two different brands out of that kitchen because they were able to segment their larger menu and then make some changes from a culinary standpoint to come up with this great burritos locos brand. Um, Absolute Brands, which is Doghouse, I love Doghouse. They've recently taken taken a couple of their menu items and launched those into separate brands that are still being produced out of their main doghouse facility. So they have um, their chicken sandwich was really, really popular, great chicken there. So they started doing a chicken brand out of that. So I think what you're also going to see is brands that are taking their menu, segmenting it and creating an entire brand around some of their most popular items. Well, now I have two different brands I could order from because maybe some days I'm not going to go on to Uber Eats and say, I feel like dogs and burgers. Maybe I'm going to say I want some great chicken and Doghouse is one great chicken sandwich is not going to pop up as my option because that's not what they're tagged as, but their chicken brand is. Well, now I have two brands that are selling out of one facility. It enables their franchisees to increase their revenue. Um, I think a lot of, I mean, that's just in the last month that I've seen two brands here in Southern California do that. I think that's going to be a trend that absolutely continues. That's absolutely, I mean, that that's so fascinating to me. And that's not even getting to the next step, which is the voice technology, which is voice, voice enabled technology technology, it's coming, whether anyone wants to talk about it or not. We all know my son goes just last night. He goes, he goes, dad, Alexa's not listening. <laughs> Alexa's not listening, dad. I said, what do you mean? Alexa's not, but I want gummy bears, dad, Alexa play gummy bears. So he play, he's a DJ and he's telling Alexa <laughs> what he wants to play and he's playing it for his, his daughter. So he's so, I mean, his daughter, his, his sister, so they can dance, but like, he's going to go, Alexa, I want pizza. And Alexa's going <laughs> to yeah. order him pizza. Alexa, I want barbecue. And Alexa's going to pull up barbecue. And if and if we're not putting ourselves in position to understand that in our local area, when somebody orders from a device in their house or on their car or through Siri or how, however it happens, that food isn't going to come to them, then we're going to be in a position where it's like, well, guess what? Your location, location, location that we talked about before, all that money you're paying, your commercial real estate rent, or, that is going – to not be the issue. The issue is that you are not in the real estate of the internet. If you're not yes. in the internet real estate, then there's a big problem. So uh, funny you say that. At Q, you know, we're very, very focused. You know, a lot of POS brands do they try and do everything, right? They try and have a loyalty component. They try and have gift cards. They try and be an inventory system. I mean, we are focused on being a digital ordering platform. And I would say that we're not even really a POS company because you could utilize our product across your brand and not ever have a single terminal or definitely not a back office server in your restaurant, right? We are a digital commerce platform ordering engine. So to that Point, that's what we focus on from a development standpoint. And voice is something that we're really heavily focused on right now um, as one of the things that we can create into a product that's going to matter because we think that voice ordering, absolutely, it's already here. It's already here across so many different channels. We all talk to Alexa. Um, I think 
50 years ago, if somebody popped into nowadays and saw us talking to these little round circles in our house that were very, very useful and helpful to us, um, they would think we are all crazy, but we do. I have them too. Um, So voice ordering is something that we're looking to do in the future. We think that developing a really strong kitchen management system is going to be important that aggregates all of your orders across your omni-channel um, modalities. You know, there's just certain things that we focus on as a company, and it's all about taking payment, taking orders, producing orders, and facilitating production of your food. Um, so that's something that I think is really exciting. We love talking about voice ordering because I absolutely agree with you. I think that is coming next. Um, and it's already here to a certain degree. You know, TGI Fridays has a really neat uh, integration with Alexa. They do some voice ordering stuff at the table service level. I think quick service brands are a little bit slow to adopt, but that's coming next. Yeah. Why Why was the leadership at QBeyond something that was compelling for you? Uh, um, well, I, I have to say it, and I'll you know, utilize this this crisis as an example. Um, they're just from our board of directors, you know, from our investors that we uh, have supporting us down to my executive leadership team. Um, we're incredibly human, and there is, a, it, like you said, hospitality is about humanity. It's not about just technology. It's not about a bunch of robots in the kitchen and taking orders on your phone. You know, um, it's a very very human business. And my executive leadership are some of the smartest. I've ever seen in the business. We have a incredible mix of hardcore restaurant DNA um, and a lot of tech DNA. We have people that are bringing in a fresh perspective that have some really, really deep, deep technological prowess. And then we have people in the company that have been in the business like myself, their entire career. You know, my VP of sales, Robert Peterson, he was the third or fourth hire at Par Brink. He led their national sales team and worked with them, saw them through a lot of their success. He was compelled. We're on a, we're on a pilgrimage at Q. You know, he was compelled. He heard the story. He came over. We have reps that worked for Aloha for 21 years um, at the national sales level. They heard our story. They came over. I, I was in the same boat. Um, they are thoughtful. They are smart. They are disruptive and not looking to emulate what's already been done, but to do things differently. And for me, that was just such a compelling story. But at the end of the day, they're human. The way that they've treated our, our staff, the way that we've, you know, tried to do things that help. I know we're going to talk about that later industry-wide uh, with Feed the First Responders and Order Up um, just speaks a lot to the the people and the humanity of the company. And I, I could not be more proud to work for this company than I am now during this crisis. I really appreciate you saying that because I think that is, that does get lost whenever you start talking about digital, whenever you start talking about tech, the biggest fear that people have is automation and how are we getting rid of people? And, you know, the companies that will win on the tech side, on the hospitality side, on the digital side, they're the ones that are going to be the most human. And I know that sounds like a contradictory statement, but it really isn't. You know, the, the people that are willing to show their leadership through crisis, through the good times and the bad times that show the that there's heart behind this company, that there's actual people that are very thoughtful, that are making conscious decisions to make the biggest impact they can, not just on the industry, but just as how, how are we going to help connect people in a way that's for good? You know, in a way that's for good is something that it, it's, it sounds, it sounds cliche to say, Oh, it's, is it great that I can just order something? And then all of a sudden my pizza gets delivered or my, you know, my sandwich gets, 
it actually is very helpful. It's very helpful for my wife when she's had a long day. It's very helpful for me if I've had a long day. We don't have time to cook dinner. It's like this is kind of something that this is the next wave of how we will purchase things in the future. It already is here. It's not the next wave. It's here. This is happening. And people that don't understand that need to understand it pretty quick because it's happening in their own house. You know, and if they don't say that it's happening in their own house, if they tell me that they're not ordering from Amazon Prime or their wife isn't or their kids aren't, you know, it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality that that people are going to have to face. Um, I would love for you to tell us about the first responders. Program. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm and I'm really, really excited to partner with Cali Comfort on it. I think it's going to be amazing. Um, you know, so let's let's back up a few weeks ago. You know, the crisis hits, you know, I, I'm in sales. Sales stopped. Right. And I, I saw on LinkedIn a couple people that were still promoting their product. Um, I saw a lot of companies that were pivoting to be respondent and utilize their technology to help restaurants. I saw some some companies that were utilizing their technology to take advantage of the situation. Um, but in general, in what I do in restaurant technology, I think we all had a hard stop and said, what can we do to get through the next few weeks? And what can we do in the long term to respond to the changing needs of the business? I think in the long term, we are already poised. Our platform was already built for a post-COVID world. And that's a fantastic thing. But in the short term, what can we do? You know, we're, we're not we're not selling. We're not out there trying to earn business. We're just trying to keep our industry as a whole afloat. And so we looked at our technology, said we have this incredibly nimble, agile, easy to use technology from an online ordering platform. So we developed two different things. One, we developed free online ordering for companies and brands that don't have it. If you don't have online ordering now, we can get you set up very, very quickly. It does not have to integrate into your point of sale. There are a few manual processes to it, obviously, because of that. But we're going to give it to you. There's no strings attached you know, the end of July, it's gone, right? Uh, you're not a cute customer. You're not gonna be able to continue to use it anyways. Just here you go if you need it. We've had some luck. A lot of different brands have worked with us. Actually, barbecue chain uh, that we currently support on the East Coast is utilizing it. Um, the second thing that we wanted to do was bridge both helping drive revenue in restaurants and helping the first responders who are near and dear to everyone's hearts right now. We're all reading stories of people on the front line from fire to sheriff to police departments, all the way to hospitals, you know, who are going through some pretty horrific things right now in order to keep our country safe. Um, and we saw so many restaurants that were digging into their own pockets and donating their food. I mean, you, you know, restaurants are suffering right now and they're still, this is what you're saying. We are the finest people, I believe, right? We are creative, we are in, we are industrious, and people were digging into their own pockets. But then there's so many people out there that want to help. So we developed Feed the First Responders as a humanitarian effort to connect restaurants with organizations that are first responders. So um, people like myself can go onto our website or go through your website um, and order the pulled pork plate. We can order a tailgaters and then we can choose which first responders we are going to have that delivered to. I know you're partnering specifically with, you know, San Miguel Fire and Rescue. We have Sharp Chula Vista um, and the Sheriff's Department. So it's just a great initiative to not only support driving revenue into your restaurants, um, but also drive that revenue directly into the hands of the first responders who are going to enjoy your food. All their cafeterias are closed. They're working 18 hour days. These guys just want food and they're all so, so appreciative. So that's what the Feed First Responders program is. Uh, really, really excited to partner with Cali Comfort on that. I think it'll be fantastic. And um, I don't know if you want to say anything about it, because I know that you're launching this initiative. You know, it, it was it 
it, it's incredible to think, you know, we, we built our business the last 12 years by saying yes. Whenever someone came into our restaurant, if they were doing a charity, if they were raising money for breast cancer, if they were supporting the local fire station, if it was a Little League project, it was always yes. How can we help? How can we donate? And, you know, when the coronavirus hit and we literally laid off half of our staff, 28 employees, and we looked at our sales and realized, like, well, can we pivot? Yes, we can. But like we need to cut all costs. It was the first time I've ever had to say no to somebody that asked for a donation. And it was very hard for me to do because it was just, you know, it was a local um, uh, school here at San Diego State, the film school. And they, the students every year, I've always donated to them um, to help their film program. And this time I said, you know, unfortunately, right now I can't, you know, I can't because it's, it would be an irresponsible thing to do. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to stop giving. And that doesn't mean that we don't want to continue giving. And, you know, we've been fortunate to have the San Diego Gulls, Matt Savant, the president, he's been on the podcast back when it was behind the smoke. He, he stepped up as, as a restaurant partner. He, they have five restaurant partners and they paid through their foundation. They paid us money and then we went and delivered food. But when we did that, I had such an overwhelming response from friends that I grew up with that are attorneys, very successful people. And they're like, that was such a cool thing that you did. Can we donate too? So they wanted to give us money. And so I'm yeah. collecting money through Venmo and then I'm paying the restaurant and trying to figure out, you know, how do we go and support the doctors and how do we go support the firefighters? But what you guys have done has been so impressive. And one of the things, not just because you're on the podcast, not because of how much I care about you as a person and, you know, all the incredible things that you're doing for the industry, but the way, how quickly you guys could set up the online ordering, how quickly you got DocuSign, how quickly your whole team was to respond, how quickly I got my W-9 in to get payment. I mean, I can't believe how impressed I was with how fast you guys have made this happen. And, you know, this is something that this week we're going to be rolling out to launch and hopefully we can feed as many first responders as possible because they deserve it. They're working Absolutely. their ass off. And, you know, for us, we're not in a big rush to get the restaurant back open, thankfully, because, you know, we do have sales to support the staff that are here now. What next week will look like. I don't know what next week will look like. I don't know what next month will look like. But I do know that the people that are fighting this disease, um, fighting this coronavirus on the front lines, I, we need we need them. We need them more than anything. And the, the little things that we can do to say thank you, I think they go such a long way. Absolutely. And, and you know, the more the merrier. I mean, I really wanted to be able to align myself. I'm a San Diego girl and I wanted to be able to align myself with a company that would, you know, provide food to my first responders. But if you go onto our website, qbeyond.com, you'll see we have um, first responders being supported from Atlanta Bread Company. We have Church's Chicken coming on soon. We have uh, a number of other brands that we work with that are doing this nationwide. So, you know, the more the merrier to anyone who's listening to this podcast. We are absolutely open to bringing on as many brands as possible and serve as many first responders as you possibly can. Um, very, very easy to sign up and to, you know, what you said, it takes, you know, our technology is fast. It is fast. It is agile. And there is no team, I will say this with confidence, better than the team that I have from developers to customer experience. And I think we were able to get your product on our website, orderable for those first responders within, I think, less than 72 hours. I mean, it was very, very fast. It was incredible. I mean, like I said, I, you you read a, you read about it on a website, you read about it, and this is the things that we do. You see it in a press release, you see it in someone else's statement online in a news article, 
it's completely different when you experience it firsthand. When you experience it firsthand and you see the efficiency, the quality, and how much you guys cared and how quickly you, you made it happen, I mean, I, I couldn't be more impressed. And I'm uh, very excited and I hope we can feed not only – feed as many people, but also get more restaurants to sign up. Because I think no matter what, um, it's always been a, a belief of ours that a rising tide lifts all ships. So Absolutely. The, the, the more the merrier that can come because um, spice is the variety of life. We, we all want we all want um, the ability to serve as many people as we can. And that, that's the really cool thing that you guys are doing and that you're enabling so many independent restaurant owners to do the things that they love to do. I mean, we, we love to give back. And by by launching this initiative, you're allowing us to give back in a way that's financially in the best the best the best possible uh, scenario for us. Win win win, right? We want to give, you want to produce food, and first responders are hungry and tired, and they need it. That's that, that's the truth. So how how can people uh, get in touch with you if they heard something that they like, um, as far as first responders or as far as the technology goes? So you know you can take check out our website anytime q beyond q u beyond dot com. Um, Crystal get. You can always email me at cgitman at qbeyond.com. Happy to uh, connect you with the right people within my company. You know, really, really active on LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, I, we're we're stop, easy to find. Stop there. I want to give you guys a, a shout out because not as many companies are as active as you are on LinkedIn. And I saw that from all of your executives. And I want to give you guys the due that you guys are doing a phenomenal job. More companies need to understand that LinkedIn is not just, it's not just a platform for business, it's a social platform, but you guys are creating content that is important, that makes you relevant, that helps you with leads, it helps understand what your story is, and it helps you tell about this first responders initiative, so. Thank you, I, and Alicia Hamani is our, our social media guru and whiz. She'll really, really appreciate that because she works her tail off. She, I mean, she works so hard creating content, co-branding content, so that we can uh, interact with each other uh, as brands and yeah. As as hard as her job is and how great she does, it takes all of you posting on your own accounts to make that ecosystem even more powerful. So you're making it exponentially powerful by continuing to make her job because that, that allows you guys to shine. So don't don't take that for granted. So keep No, keep thank you. Keep you just perfect. made my CMO so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, uh, she she already she when I signed up for uh, for the deck, she I got a uh, automated personalized email from her that I was very uh, very impressed with. So I'm going to I'm going to respond to that anyway. So Awesome. That makes me really happy. Cool. <laughs> Well, Crystal, you are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, anything else that you want to say? No, just Sean, I, I, you know, you're amazing. I really, really enjoyed seeing you and your business and, and, and all the things that you've morphed into over the last 12 years uh, grow. It's been really, really neat to be along for the ride as an observer and friend. And just let's just keep selling. Let's keep, you know, producing great product. Let's keep uh you know, supporting that digital experience together as a community and, you know, looking forward to what happens in the next year. It's going to be pretty exciting. It will be very exciting. We're, uh, we're grateful for your leadership and continue to do what you do. And everything we talked about will be in the show notes. Thank you guys for tuning into the podcast. Check out our YouTube page, uh, Cali BBQ Media, and uh, be sure to follow QBeyond on all their social platforms. And if you want to feed some first responders, check out their website. Thank you so much. Thank you.